We've all had the experience uh, of being hurt deeply by somebody or being disappointed in, in someone by something they've su- said or something they've done or not done or not said, which means by correlation that we've all had the opportunity and the experience of making a choice. Do I forgive the person or do I not? Sometimes uh, forgiveness involves a little thing. Uh, maybe you have a favorite coffee mug. It's on the counter. Your kids are goofing around. You say, no, stop, stop it, stop it. And they bump it and it falls off and it breaks. Okay, you can forgive that. Maybe a friend says something uh, insensitive to you. They know there's a, a sensitive spot in your life and they, push this, they keep pushing the buttons and it hurts you. That's a little bit harder to forgive, but most of us could forgive that. But what if it's something major? I mean, something really, really big, something that really cuts you deeply, that can affect you possibly for the rest of your life. How do we forgive something like that? Forgiveness is at the heart of what it means to be in a relationship with somebody. If you're not in a relationship with somebody, you never have to forgive. But if you're in a relationship, at some point you'll let them down or they'll let you down. You'll have to forgive them or they'll have to forgive you. I love what Ruth Graham said about about forgiveness. She said, a good marriage is made up of two good forgivers. Makes sense. But forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness is costly. Forgiveness is costly because it requires us to give up, to give up the right to get even. I'm not saying, don't get, get me wrong, I'm not saying that there aren't consequences for people's actions and choices, that we just are just wallflowers and let people walk all over us, but ultimately forgiveness means that we have to give up the right to get even. And we don't like to do that. We like more of the Old Testament, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, leg for leg, arm for an arm, life for life. It, it makes sense on the surface that if I get hurt to this degree, then you should be hurt to this degree, then we're even. But if you draw that out to its logical extreme, it's no way to go about life because that at the end, we're going to be a bunch of blind, toothless, armless, legless people. When somebody hurts you, you want a pound of flesh. And forgiveness asks us to give up that pound of flesh, that right to get even. Today, we are continuing our sermon series looking at some of the parables of Jesus. And we began by looking at the parable of the prodigal son, my favorite parable, just beautiful powerful parable about God's love for us and his grace and his forgiveness and that we can always come back home. We looked at the prodigal, the the parable of the lost sheep, God's pursuit of us and how we should pursue others uh, with his love and his grace. Last week, Pastor West uh, took us through the parable of the the great banquet or the the great party, the great invitation. There's different names for it. And today we come to the parable of the, the ungrateful or the unmerciful, again, depending on your translation, servant. And so I don't want to talk simply about forgiveness. I want to talk about shocking forgiveness, uh, extravagant forgiveness, forgiveness beyond what should be the common expectation. Maybe you've heard the name Pastor Fred Winters. He was shot and killed during a Sunday morning service back in 2009. Uh, A troubled young man came in and shot him during the service. And a week after the event, his wife, Cindy Winters, said this about the alleged killer. I do not have any hatred or even hard feelings towards him. We have been praying for him. One of the first things my daughter said to me after it happened was, you know, I hope that he comes to learn to love Jesus through this. She says, we are not angry at all and really believe that he can find hope and forgiveness and peace 
through this, by coming to Jesus. And we hope that that happens. Now you hear stories like this and you think, wow, I don't think I could ever do that. I could forgive a lot, but I don't think I could go to that degree. And I certainly couldn't say those sorts of things. But we have other stories like this too. Remember the the Amish school shooting a few years back? Gunman goes into an Amish schoolhouse, shoots shoots and kills five girls. And afterwards, one of the community said, I don't think there's anybody here that wants anything, wants to do anything but forgive. And not only to reach out to those who have lost loved ones, but also to the family of the shooter. How do we love like that? I mean, shouldn't there be limits? Aren't there limits to what we're called to forgive? That's the question we have before us as we look at this passage. And it begins with the Apostle Peter asking a question about what are the limits on forgiveness? Verse 21, Peter says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, Peter thinks he's been pretty generous here because in his day, the rabbinical teaching, the rabbis would teach that if a man committed a transgression, you were to forgive them the first time, the second time, and the third time. But the fourth time, that was the line in the sand. You didn't have to forgive them the fourth time. And so Peter thinks he's being pretty generous. He has more than doubled the quota of forgiveness uh, that was expected of him in that day. So he's learned something from Jesus, right? He's been following Jesus around, and he knows that that retaliation is not the right path, that forgiveness is to be pursued. And so he says seven times. And Jesus says in verse 22, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. I can just picture somebody writing an iPhone app to keep track of the number of times that you've you've forgiven somebody. So 78, no more. But that's not what Jesus means. He's saying, stop counting. Followers of Christ, forgiveness is to be unlimited. A way of life freely offered to all who sin against us. Forgiveness chooses love and mercy over revenge. And it leaves justice to God. Now that's hard to do because we are created in God's image. What that means is we have a desire for justice. God is a God of justice. So we have this innate desire, this, this need for justice. What's one of the first things a kid will say? That's not fair, right? We want justice. We want fairness. But we're not God. And often our, our sin and our bias and our struggles and our flaws distorts God's image within us. And we want justice and it instead turns into revenge. Scorekeeping. And Jesus said, judge not, lest you also be judged. So what do we do? There are so many things in our world, in our lives, that are not resolved. They frustrate us. They anger us. But the question is, do we trust God? Will we leave those things in his hands and trust that he will do what is right and just? Do we trust him? If we do, we will choose love and mercy over revenge. And we will forgive. So Jesus is calling us to a radical kind of forgiveness that goes beyond what's expected. How do we do this? 
And so Jesus answers this by telling us a story. It begins in verses 23 through 35. It's a simple story, very straightforward. There are three characters. There's this king, there's one of his servants, and there's another servant, a, a friend or co-worker of this other guy. And in this story, the king uh, uh, would have had lots of resources. He would have needed help to manage his, his resources, probably had a, an army of CPAs and bookkeepers and bill collectors and, and all these things, investors. And um, maybe it's audit time or something. And, and it turns out that one of his servants owes him a lot of money. I mean, a lot of money. Some translations say 10,000 bags of gold. Others say 10,000 talents. Now, what commentators tell us is that the talent was worth about 20 years' wages. 20 years' wages. So 200,000 years of wage, of, of, of working to pay this debt off. In other words, there's no way. He has no chance to ever, ever, ever pay this off, not even to make a dent into this. And so what does he do? He has no options, so he begs. <laughs> he, he falls at, his, at, the, at the king's feet and he begs. It says in verse 24, be patient with me. I will pay back everything. And the servant's master has pity on him and canceled the debt. Think about that. They say probably around $7 billion in today's wages. And he said, no problem. I'm going to let you off the hook. What's more unbelievable is what happens next. This guy's on the way home. He's just been forgiven a couple hundred thousand years of work, wages. He's on his way home, and he comes across another guy. This guy owes him, it says, a hundred silver coins, which would be about a hundred days' wages. Not chump change, but not even even the same universe as what he's been forgiven. And look how he responds. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. So he's getting physical here. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me. I will pay it back. He should have recognized those words. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And the king, when he hears this, He can't believe his ears. And we hear what happens. Then the master called the servant, and you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. So you can't be forgiven billions and then be unwilling to forgive Relatively speaking, chump change. What was the problem here? Why? How could he not see this? He didn't understand how extravagantly he had been forgiven. And as a result, he wasn't able to forgive others. And then Jesus ends with these haunting words. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. I, I don't like I don't like that sentence. <laughs> Jesus is saying that if we withhold forgiveness from others for what they do to us, then God will withhold forgiveness from us? I think the point we can draw from this is forgiveness is costly. 
but it does not compare to the cost of unforgiveness. You've probably heard the old saying, bitterness, holding a grudge, is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Isn't that true? When we don't forgive, we turn bitter, negative, makes us hard-hearted, poisons our hearts, distorts our minds. Because we want to hold on to the hurt, hold on to the pain, our right to be angry. We want to lick our wounds, and it feels good to do that. Maybe they haven't said they're sorry. Maybe they said they're sorry, but we don't think they really meant it. Maybe they said they're sorry, but they really don't understand what they did. It's pretty clear they don't understand. And so we won't forgive. But Jesus says if we will not forgive, it will end up hurting us, changing us. Because however costly forgiveness is, unforgiveness costs us more. So let's summarize. Peter asked a very good question about limits of forgiveness. How many times are we to forgive? Then Jesus says we're to forgive others freely without counting, no matter how many times they sin against us. And Jesus says this will only happen when you understand how much you yourself have been forgiven by God. And what costs this forgiveness has been given to you. And so the power to forgive comes from this experience of of knowing that we need to be forgiven, understanding how much we need forgiveness, and understanding how much it costs God. You see, the debt of our sin is so great that we can never, ever, ever repay it. But instead of prosecuting us, God sends his son Jesus to die for us, to pay our debt. And so we're called to forgive others. And so I invite you this morning to get a little bit personal. Who are the people in your life that you have to forgive? We all have people who have hurt us or disappointed us. Hopefully we've forgiven them, most of them. But who are the people in our life that have hurt us that we need to forgive? Maybe they haven't said they're sorry. Maybe they have and... It's clear they don't quite get it, or they're not sincere about it. But who are the people that, we're, that we need to forgive in our lives? It can be a hard process. It might require counseling. It might require all sorts of discussions and, and, and work. But, but if God calls us to do something, he's going to give us the power to do it. He's not going to ask us to do something and then just say, Oh, sorry, that was kind of fun to watch you fail. He gives us the power to do the things he calls us to do. So who are the people you need to forgive in your life? I want to close with a passage that speaks of God's great forgiveness for us. It's from Psalm 103. He, God, does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. We're called to be people who forgive. I'm going to close with a story. I saw this in the news just recently, just yesterday actually. They released a list of the Nobel Peace Prize nominees. 
There's a couple hundred or maybe 130 something, but it's, it's a lot. And one of the nominees were Coptic Christians from Egypt. I don't know if you've seen their story in the news over the past few years, but starting back in the Arab Spring, um, when Mubarak was overthrown, and, and there, it was more of a, a Muslim-based government, more fundamentalist, um, the Coptic Christians have been persecuted. Um, many, many, many women raped, uh, 200 and some killed. There was an attack on a church recently, uh, dozens killed. Children have been slaughtered. And it's been remarkable because uh, even, even some of the Muslim clerics and, and some of the Egyptian TV stations have remarked in the interviews with these Coptic Christians that their first response is, we're praying for them. We forgive them. And they're not retaliating. And it's blowing them away. And they've been nominated for this Nobel Peace Prize because of their response as a group. We're to forgive like that. We're to forgive in such a way that people notice. Not because we're better, but because we understand what God has done for us. And out of the power of that, the power of God's Spirit within us, then offering forgiveness as Jesus calls us to do so. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your forgiveness. We are grateful that you are God who offers us mercy. You do not treat us as we deserve. You give us mercy. And you're a God of grace. You give us something that we cannot earn and do not deserve. Forgiveness. So, Father, help us Help us to work through the things in our lives that are perhaps keeping us from forgiving. Help us, Lord, to forgive as you have forgiven us. We do it, Lord, because you've asked us to. We do it, Lord, because you've done for us far and out of proportion for what you're asking us to do. And, Lord, we do so because... We know it's, it's good for us because when we hold on to anger and bitterness, it changes us and not for the good. So, Lord, we, we ask for your help that we can forgive others as you have forgiven us. In Jesus' name, amen.